Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Good morning. It's great to be worshiping with you, and uh, would you pray with me? Father God, this morning we are so grateful for you. Lord, we are grateful for the ways in which you are leading us, the ways in which you are moving among us. We're grateful for this church, this place that we can come without fear, without shame, to worship you, to be in your presence. Father, thank you for the gift that you have given us in Grace Community Church. Lord, we thank you also for the nation that we live in. We thank you that we do have the freedom to worship, that we don't have to worry about hiding our faith, hiding what we believe in. And Lord, we just come before you just praying for our nation this morning, praying for the state of Pennsylvania that we live in, the county, Lancaster County that we are in, and this community, Willow Street, Lord. We pray for our leaders, God, that you would give them wisdom to make decisions. Lord, help them to, to find you in the midst of their role as servants of, of uh, this nation and this community. Lord, we pray that you would allow us, or give us the boldness to, to be vocal, to speak up on things that are important to you, things that... Uh, that this world needs to hear, needs to know. But God, we just, again, we pray for our leaders and for those in power over us, that you would continue to use us as a light to guide them. We just pray, like we saw in Nineveh, in, in the story of Jonah, Lord, we pray for a revival of your spirit and your goodness and grace and your love in this, in this country that we live in, Lord. Help us to be the start of that. Lord, as we think more broadly towards the world around us, we think of our missionaries and, and all of our partners globally. Lord, we just thank you for the work that they are doing. We pray that you would give them endurance and grace for every challenge, for every battle. Lord, that you would hold them up in your right hand. We pray specifically this, this month for Brian and Missy Wagner, Lord, we pray that in the work that they are doing, God, that you would just bless them, help them to be successful, help them to be diligent in what you have called them to. We pray specifically for uh, the Rift Valley Academy as they transition to a new model, God. We just pray for clear direction. We pray that you would grant their leaders patience and consensus, that they would listen to your leading, to your calling for, uh, for that school. And Father, we just look towards your word this morning. In Jonah 3, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to, to take Jonah's example of obedience in that chapter to heart, Lord, that, that even though he ran from you, even though he was far from you, God, that you brought him back to where he needed to be, Lord, that you gave him a second chance. Lord, we know that many of us have needed that second chance. Many of us have needed a third and a fourth and a fiftieth chance. God, so wherever we are 
in that journey, Lord, I pray that you would give us the, the strength and uh, the, abil- the ability to obey you in all things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. I actually feel badly that you all missed the sermon on Jonah 2, so I think what we'll do this morning is I'll preach the sermon on Jonah 2 for the first 25 minutes, and then I'll go like this, and that will mean that we're going to Jonah 3, and I'll preach another sermon for 30 minutes for Jonah 3. How's that sound? Does that sound good? Don Milan, do you like that idea? What? You, we do not have a gas leak, Don. That's... Ask the wrong person, get the wrong answer. There you go. (laughs) Actually, what I said to the 11 o'clock crowd last week, and it brought, it kind of made them nervous as I got up, and I said, usually by the time I stand before you, I have one 30-minute sermon left in me, but today I have two 30-minute sermons left in me, and then they get up and left. But anyway, (laughs) we're not going to do that. We're in Jonah chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, your devices, would you open them to Jonah chapter 3? We'll be reading that in just a moment. From a fish to a beach to a front row seat for one of the great awakenings of history. What we're discovering in our study in the book of Jonah is that this book is more than a story about Jonah and a great fish. It's a story about Jonah and a great God. And and the way in which we're discovering that is, interestingly, by the disobedience of God's prophet Jonah. Jonah was not one who quickly said yes to God and did what God wanted him to do. In fact, he did quite the opposite, and you know that. He ran in the opposite direction of the call that God placed on his life. And it was in his disobedience, in his rebellion, that Jonah learned some truths about God. And we studied those last week in Jonah chapter 2. He learned that God hears us when we call out to him, that he inclines his ear to us. We learn that even when we get ourselves in tight spots in life by our own sin and disobedience, that God cares about us. And we also learn that when we are willing to turn from our sin and to turn back to God, that God then rescues us, that he saves us and gives us his grace. That's That's what we learned last week as we studied, and we came to that dramatic conclusion in Jonah chapter 2, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I generally don't use the word vomit in a sermon, but it's in the Bible, so there it is. Vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's where we left Jonah last week. He was on dry land. After a harrowing experience in a ship that was about ready to sink, and eventually inside the belly of a whale. What happens next is nothing short of miraculous. Turn to Jonah chapter 3 with me. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a very large city. It took three days to go all through it. Jonah started into the city going a day's journey, and he proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. 
Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had determined to bring on them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, as I introduced this sermon, this actually, Jonah 3, is one of the great awakenings of history. Great awakening is actually a formal term, and it's a term that means a powerful movement of God that results in Christians repenting of their sin, returning to biblical faith, and also many people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Not one or two or three or four, but literally large groups of people coming to the place where they commit their lives to Jesus Christ. In a great awakening, Christians get on fire for Jesus. Sinners repent of their sin. They surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. In the historic great awakenings of our world and our nation, entire churches, communities, and there also are records of nations where there has been wholesale change as Jesus Christ has become Lord of large numbers of people. Now, the United States in its history actually has had three great awakenings. The first great awakening was in the mid-1700s, about 1730 to 1780, encompassing the Revolutionary War when God moved mightily in our nation. The second great awakening was sparked in 1795. It extended to 1835, and there was a powerful movement of God in which entire churches and communities turned to Christ. The third great awakening happened, it started just before the Civil War, and it concluded right around 1900, and during that time, many denominations were founded, and many of our Christian institutions were founded. Now, our church is part of the evangelical congregational denomination, and we were born out of the second great awakening in the United States. Our founder, Jacob Albright, and his wife, Catherine, lived up in Ephrata area, actually out near where Fry's Mill, Hanstown is. And, and, and they came to faith in Christ in 1791. In a powerful way, they were converted to Jesus Christ. They had been religious, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They came to know him as Savior and Lord. In 1796, God called Jacob Albright and impressed upon him that his fellow Pennsylvania Germans were religious, but they didn't have a heart faith in Jesus. And he called him to go and preach the gospel, which he did for four years. And in 1800, he established our denomination, originally called the Evangelische Gemeinschaft, the Evangelical Association, because we were founded to preach and teach the gospel to Pennsylvania Germans. And God moved mightily in the Second Great Awakening in establishing our denomination. Now, sometimes Great Awakenings can be very local. There was a Great Awakening that occurred in the village of Conestoga in 1924, Great Revival of 1924. It started at Bethel Church, with whom we have a partnership, and it was intended to be about an eight or a ten-day revival and went on for nearly six weeks. And the reason it extended for nearly six weeks is people kept getting saved. Dozens and dozens of people came to faith in Christ. 
Christians began to deal with their sin. It was a powerful move of God across the village of Conestoga. The reason I know about that is that my own grandmother was saved in that great revival of 1924. She was brought to her knees in the confession of her own sin. She came to faith in Christ, actually have her baptismal certificate from the spring of 1925 when she declared her faith that she had uh, placed in Jesus Christ in the, in, the, in the fall of 1924. And what's really interesting about that is that's part of our family history. My great uncle, who was one of the first mechanics in Conestoga, came face to face with Jesus Christ and was convicted that he should become a pastor. And it was in the great revival of 1924, he yielded to the Lord Jesus, served for 40 years as a pastor in our denomination. Back in 1999, when I was bishop of the EC Church, I was on a 10-day tour of preaching at our church is in Akron, Ohio area, and I was in a church in Akron, Ohio on Sunday morning, and this elderly man came up to me, and he said, I'm H.I. Carmichael, and I said, H.I. Carmichael was a pastor in Conestoga during the great revival of 1924. He said, that was my father. My father then moved out here to pastor, and I said, do you remember that revival? He said, I have a faint memory of it, but my 90-year-old sister is in another EC church here in Akron. You look her up. She knows all about it, and I did. She was 15 years old at the time, and she remembered the details of how God moved mightily in the village of Conestoga, and there were dozens of people who came to faith in Christ literally changing the nature of that village. Great awakenings are real. They can happen. And we have before us an example of a great awakening in Jonah chapter 3. The thread in all great awakenings is that those who are awakened experience God personally, deeply, and powerfully. And their response every time is one of obedience. God, I will do what you want me to do. Jonah, chapter 3, is the great awakening of Jonah, and it is also the great awakening of Nineveh. How did both prophet and city experience God? What did they learn about him? Well, there are three things that they learned about him in this great awakening, and the very first one is this. God's grace is great. God's grace is great. Say that with me and say it loud. God's grace is great. William Barclay, British theologian and commentator, has written that our God is the God of the second chance, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, because that is the grace of God. That's exactly what Jonah writes about in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. I love it. A second time God came to Jonah. Now listen, if I were God, I would have been likely to say, I think I have other prophets. I'm not sure I'm going to go back to Jonah. He really messed up the first time. I told him what I wanted him to do. He went in the opposite direction. And even when the ship was ready to break apart, he refused. He refused to say, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. You know what he did? He said, throw me overboard and everything will be fine. And God provided a fish that swallowed Jonah, and it was in that fish in Jonah chapter 2 that Jonah grappled with the reality of his own disobedience and his own sin and finally repented of that sin and turned to the Lord. And the Lord was gracious to Jonah. He gave him a second chance to do what he had called him 
to do. God graciously spared Jonah's life even before he asked God to do that. God graciously heard Jonah's prayer and he inclined his ear to him. God graciously rescued Jonah from the belly of a whale. God graciously gave Jonah a second chance to follow him. You know what grace is? It is the undeserved love and favor of God. It is when God gives us another opportunity when, frankly, we don't deserve it. But why does he do it? Because of his great love for every one of us. In doing this, I want you to notice something very important. God did not in the least change the call or the task to which he was appointing Jonah. God didn't negotiate. God didn't compromise. God didn't fudge. God didn't say, well, Jonah, you didn't do so good the first time. You're probably a little weak. You know what? I'll send three people with you. No, God went to him a second time, and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against the sin of Nineveh. God always accompanies his grace with truth. And he always stands behind whatever it is he calls us to do. If you leave here this morning and you go out through the main doors of the church, there's a painting between those doors. That painting was painted by Carolyn Blish from our congregation. She worships at 11 o'clock service. Carolyn painted that painting based on John chapter 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. And you know that story possibly from your own study of Scripture, how the religious leaders brought her forward and accused her of the sin of adultery. Interestingly, she was the only one being accused. You wonder where the man is, don't you? But he wasn't there. And they were harsh, and they were bitter, and they were angry, and they were rage-filled, and they wanted to stone her to death. And that's a rich, rich story. But I think one of the richest parts of the story is that after Jesus confronted all of her accusers, offered that those who are sinless can cast the first stone, after the oldest ones left and all the young ones followed, he looked her in the eye and he said, woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. That's true grace. Anything else would have been cheap grace. You see, he didn't say go. He said go and leave your life of sin. If you want no real freedom, it isn't just me letting you go. It's you letting go of your sin and your rebellion. Jonah, I'm going to give you a second chance. You go. I'm not going to make it easy or easier. It's the same call. You go to Nineveh and you preach. And that's exactly what Jonah did. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh is a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The good news here for all of us is if you have disobeyed the Lord, if you are currently disobeying the Lord, if you are currently in a place of rebellion, maybe nobody else knows that. Maybe you're the only one who knows that you're in a place of rebellion because you know what God has been saying to you. You know what you've been saying to God. 
God will give you a second chance. God will give you a third chance. God wants to embrace you with his love, with his grace, and he wants you to have the opportunity, like Jonah, to turn away from your rebellion and turn to the Lord and follow him. But there's more to this story. In this great city of Nineveh, we also see the great grace of God. From the first sermon in Jonah chapter 1, we learned that Nineveh is a great city, very large, economic powerhouse. It is a political center, powerful center of government for the nation of Assyria. It is a city that has eight miles of wall, 1,200 towers, 14 gates. It has an unrivaled palace. It is a marvel of the ancient world, but it is also wicked to its core. The prophet Nahum in the Old Testament has written this about Nineveh in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. A city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, piles of dead, people stumbling over corpses, filled with sexual immorality and witchcraft. And God said, now Jonah, you go there and you preach my word. The sermon that's recorded in Jonah chapter 3 is actually a one-sentence summary of what must have been a much longer sermon and a very powerful sermon. The reason we know that Jonah's sermon was very powerful is because of the incredible response to that sermon. The Word of God says that as he preached that sermon, the Ninevites believed God. Now that's very significant. Because prior to this, they believed many gods. Oh, yeah, do you believe in God? Sure, we have 55 of them. But now they believed the one true and living God. The Word of God says that they put on sackcloth. You know what that is? That is when you are sincerely broken over your sin in the ancient world. You're, you're brokenhearted that you have failed and rebelled against the one true and living God. You are not worthy to wear your finest clothes, to have a meal, to, to drink as you normally would, or to party or celebrate. And so what do you do? You exchange your nice clothes for sackcloth, burlap, and you put it on, and you, you refuse to party, you refuse to have a regular meal. You fast because broken over your sin, you want the one God of the universe to see that you're serious about sin and you want his forgiveness in your life. The Ninevites responded in that way. And not only the people, but the king too. Look at what the word of God says. Their king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went one step further, sat down in the dust to demonstrate his brokenness over his sin. And here you have, friends, the great awakening of Nineveh, an entire city broken over their sin and turning in faith and belief to the one true and living God. I, I love how the king made a decree and sent it out through the nation. And at the very end of that decree, he writes this, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And that's exactly what God did. 
When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And in that moment, from king to peasant, the Ninevites discovered God's grace is great. Say that with me. God's grace is great. You are never beyond the long arm of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. You have not sinned to the point where you cannot be forgiven. God wants to forgive you. By the blood of Jesus Christ, he wants to wash away your sin and to break the power of sin in your life and give you a new and eternal life. He wants to save you. The good news of this passage is that if you're here today and you've yet to come to faith in Christ and, and there are people who are in this world who are not in Christ because they think themselves unworthy of God's grace, you are not unworthy of his grace. He wants to embrace you with his grace and transform your life by his power as you choose to turn from your sin and to turn to him. That's exactly what the Ninevites did. God's grace is great. Now, Jonah also learned another lesson about God. And secondly, what he learned was that God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. Say that with me. God's word is powerful. Jonah preached the word of God, and the Ninevites repented of their sin and put their trust in God alone. Do you know how long his sermon was? We think it was a whole lot longer than this. Those of us who are preachers hope it was a whole lot longer than eight English words and five Hebrew words because, my goodness, you'd be home and having breakfast if that was all I was going to preach this morning. Eight words. But you know what? Even if it was just eight words, God could powerfully use those eight words to affect a great awakening in the heart of one and the heart of thousands. I remember this morning I was preaching at 8 o'clock, an experience I had a number of years ago. I was in a briefing in Washington, D.C. For, for denominational um, people. And Senator Mark Hatfield, who was a senator from Oregon at the time, was in that briefing. He was a born-again believer. And he shared this testimony, which I'll, I'll never forget this, he said that one day he was in a rush to get onto the Senate floor for a vote, and he was running up the Capitol steps to get into the Senate chamber, and one of his Senate pages chased him down and said, Senator Hatfield, I have to talk to you. And Senator Hatfield said, I turned around and said, not now, I've got to go to a vote. This is very important, the page said. Okay, just tell me what it is, and I'll see what I can do. And the page looked at him and said, what can I do to be saved? I'm told that you could help me. And Hatfield said, I stopped in my tracks and I realized I had about a minute and a half and I shared the gospel and this young man said, that's what I need. And I led him in prayer and he came to faith in Christ and later on after the vote, I followed up to help him get a firm foundation to grow in the Lord. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute sermon. Now, it will always be that here, but 
it can be a minute and a half, and God will powerfully change hearts and lives. You know why? Because his word is powerful. See, that's the nature of his word. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's the nature of God's word. And that's why, friends, preaching the word of God is critically important. In our denomination, we have pulpit-centered churches. The word of God takes priority. We preach expository sermons. What that means is that we take a book of the Bible, right now, Jonah, and we preach a passage of Scripture so that when you leave here, you understand what that passage means and you understand what it means for your life. And, and we're going to do that right through next week in Jonah. And then on February 4th and 5th, we're going to start a whole series that will take us into middle of April on the attributes of God. And we're going to unpack scriptures that teach you who God is. We're going to start with the Trinity. We're going to go to the holiness of God, the love of God, the jealousy of God. We're going to make our way to Good Friday on the wrath of God. And Easter Sunday, the power of God. And the weekend after Easter, the glory of God. And we're going to unpack Scripture and teach you what the Word of God says. You know why? Because there is only one book in the world that is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, whose every word is fully trustworthy, in which there is not one single error, and there is only one word that gives us the authority for what to believe and how to live our lives. It is the Word of God. And so the priority in our church life is teaching and preaching biblical truth, and calling men and women to be missionaries and men to be pastors to declare this truth to the world in which we live. I was reminded as I prepared this sermon of Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, the Word of God says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. People will not know Jesus unless we open the scriptures and preach and teach the word of God in our churches and then out of our churches in our personal witness share Christ from the word of God. But this world will not experience a great awakening unless the church is willing to send her sons and daughters to the ends of the earth as missionaries and raise up the next generation of pastors. You know, right now, in the United States of America, we have more churches than we have pastors. There is a crisis coming in which even in the evangelical church, we will not have enough pastors for the pulpits of our churches. I don't believe that God has planned it that way. I believe that God wants us to raise up 
out of our churches, men who will be pastors and fill those pulpits and teach the Word of God and see churches literally come alive in Jesus Christ. We can't afford to close churches today. We need to open more churches, and the ones that are open for 150 years need to remain open and be revived, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Can Conestoga experience another great revival? Yes, they can, from one end to the other. But it won't happen on our authority, and it won't happen because of our words. It will be the Word of God that brings that great awakening. There's one more truth that Jonah learned, and it's a very important one. God's heart is broken. God's heart is broken. Say that with me. God's heart is broken. His heart is broken for the lost. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, there are places in the American church today where it's not in vogue to talk about the lost. But that's what the Bible refers to when the Bible talks about men and women who do not yet know Jesus Christ. See, lost people are people who are trying to find purpose in life, trying to get rid of their own sin, trying to change the stuff inside of them that doesn't feel right and isn't right. And they're lost because they don't know how to do it. But there's only one who can do it. Only one Savior who can change us from the inside out. And his name is? And only him. And, and, and you know, this week, I didn't intend this. I've been reading through the New Testament. My new Bible reading plan for 2023 is to read through the New Testament. Read through the Bible the past couple years. And man, you know, you're just on, you're reading lots of Scripture every day. And I need to slow down. And I needed to just slow down and meditate uh, on portions of God's Word. So I'm now reading through the New Testament. And just two days ago, it was Luke 15. The first story is the parable of the lost sheep. And then it's the lost coin. And then it's the prodigal son. And you know what was impressed upon me? When God counts and finds 99 of the 100 there, he doesn't say, that's a really good average. I'm at 99%. <laughs> I'm good with that. He says, I'm not good with that until I find the last one that's lost. God wants his church to be brokenhearted over the lost. We are not a social service agency. We are not a country club. We are a rescue station from which we go out to bring in the lost in Jesus Christ. Do you care about the lost? This picture here, friends, is of what the world needs right now. And what the world needs right now is a great awakening. What our nation needs right now is a great awakening. What our state needs right now is a great awakening. What our county needs right now is a great awakening. And you know, some people say, well, Lancaster County, I mean, my goodness, we're Christian. We're religious. I'll give you that. We've got 700 churches, plus all the Amish churches, in addition to the 700. 
We're religious, but I don't think we're Christian yet. I think this county, man, if we'd have a great awakening in this county, you could not hold us back. You could not hold us back. I'm not being critical like County. There are so many good things here, but what I'm saying to you is we need a great awakening here. We need it at the state level. We need it at the national level. We need it at the level of the world. We need a great awakening that captures the attention of the news media, like what in the world is happening here? How do you get there? I want to offer very simply four things that I believe are found here in Scripture and in history as well. Great awakenings come when churches make Scripture central. When churches make Scripture central. It's heartbreaking when you see in our culture churches moving away from the authority of Scripture instead of running to it. We need to make Scripture central. Secondly, as Christians, now write that down, as Christians, we need to repent of our sin. We need to repent of our sin. Something you're going to notice here in these four things, great, the great awakenings are dependent on us who know Jesus. You cannot expect the world around us that doesn't know Jesus to affect a great awakening. God's looking to us. As Christians, we need to stop behaving badly, stop talking about nonsense, stop purporting and sponsoring every conspiracy theory that makes us look ridiculous, and start holding to the authority of the word and then examining our own lives to determine where we are with Jesus, are our words, our actions, even more deeply, our thoughts pleasing to him or displeasing to him? And we need to repent of our sin. And as we do that, we as Christians need to then cry out to God and ask him for a great awakening. I'm doing that. I'm doing that because, frankly, I don't believe that there's a government in the world that's going to solve the problems that we have. Anybody with me on that? I really don't. Like, I'm not looking down to D.C. at the two, you know, chambers of Congress saying, wow, you know, we're really going to get a handle on our problems and see big resolution now when the Senate and the and the representatives get together. No, we're not. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ and the awakening that he would bring. And that's going to happen because we cry out to God. But then finally, we need to obey his will. One of the things that happened in the great awakening of Jonah chapter 3 is that Jonah turned away from running away from God and turned in the direction of God and ran to God and said, I'll do what you want me to do. And look what God did. He used Jonah to affect an incredible awakening 
in a terribly wicked city. What would happen if every one of us would be utterly obedient to what we know God is calling us to do? And instead of running from him and saying, well, I'm not, that's not time yet to do that, and not very convenient for my schedule, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Now let me quote a song we just sang. I'll follow you anywhere. Will you? Will you? You know, our young adults, under uh, Pastor Paul's leadership this year, they um, did a little research and they were looking to sponsor a translation team that's almost at the finish line of translating the Bible into the heart language of a people group that doesn't currently have the Bible. And they're, they're finding that there's this people group or this translation team that needs about $25,000 to get to the finish line. And so they've committed themselves as a group of young adults to raise $25,000 this year to get that translation to the finish line so that people group can hear the Word of God in their own heart language, come to know Jesus. I want to take that a step further. I am praying that our Grace Community Church, God will raise up the next generation of Bible translators, that he will raise up individuals and couples in the course of time to leave Grace Community Church and go to the ends of the earth where they will commit themselves to translate the Scriptures into the language of a people group that do not yet have the Bible that you and I have and therefore do not yet know Jesus. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? Read this with me. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Grace Community Church is committed to sending we just need people who are committed to going because God is calling them in that direction. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, how we thank you and praise you for your word today. Thank you for this chapter in Jonah. Man, thank you that you've given us a front row seat to what an awakening is. Makes us hungry for that here. We'd love to see that take place in our own nation. And, and beginning right here in our own county. And, and Lord, we'd love to see that take place here in our state. So Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us as Grace Community Church. That we as a church would continue to make Scripture central to our life. But Lord, that you would move and work in revival fires inside of every one of us and inside of us corporately where there is unconfessed sin, rooted out so that people would repent of their sin and find freedom in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would burden each one of us in our own times of prayer to pray for the lost, to cry out to you for an awakening. And then, Lord, I pray for obedience, that the sons and daughters of Grace Community Church, no matter what age they are, when called by you, whether it be a calling to ministry here within this church or a calling to leave and go, even to the ends of the earth, that they would be obedient and do that. That you would raise up missionaries and pastors out of our church 
we pledged you we will send them. We will support them. We will pray for them. Lord, as you raise them up, we'll stand by their side as they do the work of mission and ministry to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray this together, and all the people said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.